This is the CineSnob Podcast. Oh, welcome to episode 266 of the CineSnob Podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And Cody, your hat says it all. <laughs> it does. Spurs. Uh, uh, yeah, the uh, San Antonio Spurs won again the NBA draft lottery. Yeah. Um, super exciting time for uh, Spurs fans. Um, you, um, I was watching a movie, a movie that we're going to cover next week. Mm-hmm. It was in a screening. Um, I knew the draft lottery was happening, obviously. And I set, I, I normally don't do this. I, I'm normally a good citizen in the theater. Um, <laughs> uh, but it was just a press screening and it was completely empty of, um, anybody else. But it was, uh, I set my alerts on, my phone to go off mm-hmm. um like i set espn to alert me and um let's just say in the middle of um of a uh, signature song in the movie that we're we're talking about it's the little mermaid we'll just talk about the, it's the little mermaid yeah uh in the middle of part of your world mm-hmm. um i get a, a buzz on my phone that says or a buzz on my watch that says the spurs won the draft lottery yeah so i was like oh i looked down and it's like, wish I could be part of, oh, shit. And I, I literally said, oh, shit. And my wife said, what? I said, the Spurs won. And I was like, holy shit. I can't believe it. And then, like, you messaged me. Uh, my boss texted me. Uh, all kinds of stuff I saw pop up on Facebook when I went to the bathroom. And uh, Yeah. Yeah, very, very exciting. I'm very... Um, serendipitous i guess this is the this is the third time that that the spurs have won the number one draft pick mm-hmm. um the first one yielded david robinson second one yielded tim duncan and now um the best prospect in the last 20 years victor wimbanyanya Wim, <laughs> i can't fucking say wimbanyama there you go there we go um who you watched uh you said you watched a french game today featuring him <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because, I mean, this guy has been the, the, the you know, prospective number one pick for years now. I mean, they've, mm-hmm. they've been following him for, I mean, I, I was hearing a report that the Spurs have been on him for like five years and he's 19. Like they've been aware yeah. of him for a very long time. And this was the year he was finally going. And so I've been kind of like not really diving too far deep into like, because like, for example, the NBA app this year streamed every single one of his games. And like mm-hmm. they have commentators who are like watching and only talking about him, you know, from in, from like NBA.com and stuff. And so I haven't been dipping too much into it because I didn't want to get my hopes up. I didn't want to <laughs> like invest all this time and energy into, you know, watching his stuff and then, you know, m- having a, a like a dagger of a draft night. Uh, to see him go to Houston or something. Yeah, exactly. Like a, a division rival. Yeah, yeah, and and so um, and so this morning I watched. He it was his first playoff game in France today. So, um, I, it, and it was on at like 10 a.m. So I was like, ah, why not? And I watched the entire game. But yeah, it was crazy. I mean, like watching the draft lottery live. It's one of those things where like, you know, if you know enough about the lottery, you know that when you see teams with high percentages drop, that you're safe basically. So like the first domino to fall was seeing that the Spurs were not like seventh or sixth, which mm-hmm. seventh was the lowest they could fall. And the next domino was uh was when uh Detroit fell to five because they had they were the worst team in the NBA last year, but you know, due to the changes of the flattening of the odds, they had us in Houston had the highest percentage chance of getting the pick. Yeah, like and a fourteen percent chance, something like that, right? Yeah, fourteen percent. So when Detroit fell it was the top four, and it was you know the Spurs, the Rockets, the Hornets, and the Trailblazers, and then they went to commercial, and so <laughs> and so you know we know we're getting a top four pick, and it's crazy, and then and then finally when Houston was uh, you know went down to four, uh, it was like oh shit, uh, because now this you know another team with the highest odds ended up falling by uh, by a, by a slot, and then it happened, and you know jumped off the couch, and actually I I, I was standing for about an hour so <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't jump off the couch but i you know yelled and stuff <laughs> yeah um our, our pal kiko posted a video of himself oh, uh, yeah. losing his shit in his living room which was great um there's a video out there of a, 
what bar was it that was going to pay everybody's tab if the Spurs won? Oh, it was a it was a bar called the Rue Pub here. It's pretty. It's a pretty massive bar. Yeah, uh, sports <laughs> bar. Um, you know, I was th- I was trying to remember. Um, I may have told the story before, but when I was when the Spurs got Tim Duncan, I was a senior in high school. I thought it was I th- I swore I was out of high school, but it was like my last couple weeks of high school. And I remember it was a Sunday and I was going back to work at Albertsons and I was listening to it on the radio. And that's when I found out, you know, Spurs got the number one pick because they announced Boston. And I was like, oh, shit. Um, Yeah, it's one of those thrilling things that it's kind of crazy to experience. I I wasn't really cognizant of the David Robinson one, Mm -hmm. but to have it like twice happen in my lifetime is a crazy feeling. And it's it's one of those things that... um, like it's a different feeling than the Duncan one because the Duncan one was like, oh shit, like this is an immediate bonus. Mm-hmm. And not that this pick, which officially uh, they haven't picked Wimby yet, but that's just NBA bullshit about not announcing who the pick is. But uh, like clearly that's who's going to be the number one pick. Like it, there's like a rebuilding process still to happen. Because mm-hmm. with, with Duncan, it was like, well, Robinson's coming back healthy. Right. You've got Sean Elliott, you've got this core that's already there and you're just adding, you know, the best power forward to ever play the game. Yeah. Well, but it, but that is but that is an important note too that like, you know, it's one thing to, you know, win the draft lottery and in, in like, you know, swing and miss on like a Greg Oden or like an Anthony Bennett, you know, two mm-hmm. two players who did nothing. It's another for the Spurs to like, you know, people have pointed this out, but like when they got Robinson, that kept the team from moving you know that kept them here you, and then with duncan you know you have you know a, a playoff stretch of 22 years that you that you don't miss and so it's not only that we won the lottery three times but it's like in super consequential drafts where like <laughs> yes. you have a presumptive number one who like no doubt is going to be the number one pick who is like if all if everything goes the way that it's supposed to like franchise altering player yeah. it's just crazy that it happened like this, and it's like again, it's the year that the Spurs decide to tank. Like the past couple of years, they've been like a play-in team, um, right on the right on the budge, uh, bubble or verge. And then this team, they finally pulled the trigger on unloading all of their big talent, and they tanked at the exact right time. And, and, <laughs> and it ended up and it ended up panning out so much so that like you say that there's a rebuilding process, and there is. But now that you land this player they probably just accelerated the rebuilding process by three yeah. or four years, um, which also allows pop to hang around for a full rebuild. Like, you know, he's, he's 74, but like, you know, if he, you know, he could easily stick around another five years. Yeah. And you know, this is um, perhaps a, you know, a different, a different mindset. Now you have um, this all around like sensation, this international sensation, uh, coming to the Spurs, which has always been a destination for international players. And, you know, with, of course, with Manu and Tony and then, uh, you know, others like, uh, um, f- you know, Fabrizio Alberto, uh, Boris Diaw, any number of other international players that have been on the Spurs. But here's like something that brings international attention mm-hmm. on, on a scale unrivaled to any, I mean, probably, probably since Yao Ming. Uh, you know, because I think the Chinese uh, market has really never left Houston after even oh, after yeah. Yao retired. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is one of those things that I think could probably, um, you know, it's going to vault the the status of the Spurs up higher than they've been in a long time. And not that they were ever, not that they were ever uh, really counted out, but there was always a healthy sort of um, what would you call it, like like. Um, a, a sort of no respect vibe that that fans have always had, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know if that changes. I mean, I assume this this immediately sort of changes it. Yeah. And the idea that, um, and, and I think this is an inev- inevitability. The idea that more of those games get played in Austin mm-hmm. is a is probably a no brainer at this point. Like sure. I think I was telling you, and I was telling some other people, like I can imagine the, uh, you know, the 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 rodeo road trip becoming the Austin homestand. Um, and then there's an editorial in the Express News about now's the time to push for a new arena, mm-hmm. which seems fucking bonkers. But the AT&T Center is 20 years old at this point. Yeah. And it's in and, a terrible location. 
You know, that was something I was talking to my wife about how it just never really developed. Mm-hmm. And if you've been to um, an NBA arena or even a ball, uh, you know, a baseball park or whatever that's in the heart of downtown mm-hmm. that has things to do around it, it's such a different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've I've never been to the American Airlines Center when it's open. That's what it's still called in Dallas, right? American yeah. Airlines Center. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like, it's clearly geared for that. Yeah. Um, well, you even see like the, the the interesting thing is that like uh, there were a lot of media people talking about the the lottery and that like you know obviously ESPN is going to be here all of the time next mm-hmm. year and in, in national media and probably TNT and Turner and uh, and then international coverage with writers like beat writers and stuff and and they kept on talking about like how how they can't wait for all of these uh, media people to uber to and from the the arena because the, you know if you're staying downtown or near the airport or anything like that you're nowhere ne- near you know the AT&T center well that that's the thing the- yeah that's the thing is like uh, oh yeah is that's naming this coming season right being I think changed so, yeah um that's the thing is like it's such a you're going like speaking of international media like the international flights in and out of San Antonio are terrible compared to Austin, which is still crazy because it's such a smaller, so much smaller of an airport. Mm-hmm. But just the international crowd that's here already with stuff like, well, with the tech industry and F1 and now the uh, MLS, uh, it's it's going to be a, uh, I think it's going to be a hard lesson for Spurs fans here, as I don't think they're leaving, but I think the time that they split between San Antonio and Austin is going to increase. Um, you know, I don't, I, again, I don't think they're leaving, but man, it's, if I was still living in San Antonio and not living here, I'd be, I'd be really worried that, I don't know. I, I mean, Austin's, it's, it's not that far away, but still it's, there's going to be an appeal there that's not in San Antonio, which is unfortunate, mm-hmm. but you know, the AT&T center is in the middle of nowhere and there's a golf course and a Coca-Cola bottling plant that have kept any sort of, um, development from happening and that it's just a sea of parking in the coliseum like it was great when it started and i don't know if you ever tried to go to any of the stuff that they tried to stop start up out there like george gervin had a restaurant at the golf course across the street yeah um just nothing ever stuck so it's not a destination for anything right um you know it's not like going like i think of um well i mean recently i've been to, to bush stadium in st louis like ballpark village and i'm sure there's ten thousand other ones like that at every other um you know mls stadium or mlb stadium that's in the middle of a city it's just it's a place to go like you're gonna go hang out down there right it's all built for that and then uh anyway uh good times ahead i guess finally back uh i can finally pay attention again because i had yeah. really drifted off. after the use i think you said it you were you it finally kind of made the Kawhi leonard thing okay <laughs> That's that's truly how I felt. It's something that I had not let go of for, you know, the past you know almost decade, really. And uh, yeah, I, it's it's finally at a point where like that, all of that happening directly led to this in some way. So yeah, whatever. And even like the the Murray trade last year that everybody was mm-hmm. kind of upset about, and he has some bad blood too. But I remember I remember specifically like they gave away the his bobblehead and then the next day traded him. Yes. Um yeah. Uh yeah. So good times. We'll see what what uh how much they're going to gouge me for tickets in Austin this year. <laughs> uh moving on, uh, one more thing we wanted to talk about before we got to the rest of the show was um there's news uh coming out that uh from Disney Plus that or Disney that uh they're first going to combine their service with Hulu. Right. Um, which is, from what I understand, two separate. They're still going to remain two separate apps, and then they'll have some sort of um, hybrid model of that. Um, but another thing, uh, and a and another uh, in a line of the trend of getting rid of content, Disney is pulling stuff from Disney Plus, uh, presumably never to return or to return in some sort of other fashion, um, ad supported maybe. Um, you hear, you heard about this, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, the big one being Willow, yeah, uh, the TV series uh, based on the movie. Sorry, my cat's uh, on my lap. The TV series based on the movie that actually just finished up in January and is now being uh, removed from the service. Um, 
What are your thoughts on this? I know that that you uh, still buy physical media, and I do too. But what are your thoughts on this stuff that just sort of gets uh, gets vanished forever? Well, I mean, I think I think that I mean that alludes to the problem, right? Is is that it would be one thing if this stuff was available on physical media, but it isn't. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's exclusively streaming content, and in fact, you know, Netflix like just deliberately does not put out their releases on physical media for the most part, which, you know, it, it's. Like the idea that like they won't release it on physical media, but also apparently like living on the platform forever is not something that's going to happen, which to me, I don't under like, I mean, I, I get that it's like a cost saving or a financial tax write off or whatever the case might be. But the idea that something can just disappear, uh, from, from the ability to watch, uh, is crazy to me in, in this day and age, like. Um, Especially after we've been conditioned for it, to it for so long. Because, I mean, that used to be in in the 80s. It was like, oh, I missed Knight Rider. Well, I'll Mm -hmm. never see it again. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But but, but, but when you have places that, like, content theoretically could be stored indefinitely, um, and then it's just gone, it's just just weird. Um, And so there's got to be – they've got to come up with some kind of solution or else all of this content is just going to – disappear and i don't think that creators are going to want to make stuff that might just like vanish off the face of the earth you know people who you know really work to create movies or or tv shows where you know they're not giving the audience a chance to hold on to it in any way i mean you know just the idea that they say no we won't release it on dvd and then we're going to strip it from the service like and it's just gone (laughs) it's just crazy yeah you know it's it's one of those things that that is really disheartening disheartening in this streaming era and that's really sort of made me really disillusioned with wanting to to continue it so you know you pay for spotify forever right you pay for a subscription there's not the threat that that stuff is going to go away whether or not it's there whether or not it's a song by an artist that no one's ever heard of it exists there to be played whenever um you know and they pay out notoriously small amounts the the idea that you're subscribing to disney to get this content forever and not just the movies but these tv shows that are developed exclusively for disney plus um that they're just going to be vanished forever or pop up somewhere i mean in theory i guess they could still pop up on something like tubi or somewhere else ad supported but it's uh it really is starting to leave a bad taste in my mouth uh for this thing because at least netflix as many problems as they have with like canceling shows after a season so you don't give a shit anymore i don't to my knowledge they've never disappeared anything like the only thing that's gone is is when they've like they lose the rights to whatever they've licensed yeah um you know the idea that these things can can just be gone from this service where you know disney plus was sold to me as a service where all of this stuff was going to live forever like this was going to be where you went to watch the simpsons forever which i don't think is going anywhere but where you'd be like you'd be able to go watch the marvel movies forever like are the less successful marvel movies going to disappear are these things that that kind of bomb that no one cares about going to go away and that's the that's the i guess the question that's being asked and and it's a fair question and i don't think they have a good answer for it mm-hmm. um yeah. i did see um brian cranston tweeting about that gorilla movie he made the one and only ivan that we didn't see, i don't think we talked about i don't but, even know what that is um it's a movie that was released straight to disney plus and it's it's going away too so you're like you're angering like you're angering like emmy winning highly respected actors in this what's going to convince them to come create content for you um and i I feel like we're probably at the peak of content creation right now and on the downswing but also like the the whole the whole like uh like attractive thing about streaming platforms is that they have a comprehensive library of Mm -hmm. archival content like that's why that's why something like hbo max for example is so value or max as it will be in two days yes uh, will be it's so valuable because they have like a treasure trove of old warner brothers stuff mixed in with you know all of the prestige hbo stuff and in like well not westworld anymore right yeah and it's it's just it's just such a weird thing to me that like like you're taking away the thing that like that is also driving people to the service 
uh, presumably for tax purposes. Yeah, well, I, I guess Willow is probably residuals, but if nobody watched it and nobody, like it's not getting a second season, I don't quite understand the idea between, or the idea of not leaving it there. Because if it's if it bombed, it bombed, and no one's, uh, the residuals they pay out are going to be minuscule, I assume, in, in relatively speaking. But, uh, you know, you've just increased the high profile, you know, you've just increased its profile 10 times more than you ever did publicizing it. Um, and who knows how much money was spent on it, all this IP that, that they own, but, you know, this is all, you know, that wasn't, it doesn't look cheap when you watch Willow. Right. Um, you know, it's it's all been positioned as you buy Peacock, you subscribe to Peacock because you wanted to watch The Office mm -hmm. or you want to watch SNL. You subscribe to HBO Max because you want uh, access to all the HBO content plus Friends. Uh, this, the Disney Plus is you want all the Disney content plus The Simpsons or whatever. If you start piecing piecing that off, like, well, what what's to keep me at Disney Plus other than, you know, the idea, like... If you if I'm sick of the Star Wars stuff, if I didn't care about any of that stuff and I know it can just go away at any time, then what the fuck am I sticking around for, man? Yeah. Like this is the old Disney Vault shit where they used to do that. They would release a DVD and then lock it away, which I get. That makes sense because it the, the DVD still exists in the world for you to go watch. But to take this stuff and just shunt it away and and lock it away and and do whatever to it. Um man, I I don't understand this like I mean, I, I, everybody went all in on streaming and now it's biting in the ass, I guess. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's so disappointing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, anything else to add before we go or before we move no, on? I don't think so. It's just a frustrating thing. And I, and I kind of feel for the people who have, you know, stuff that they worked really hard on that, like, I'm sure under the impression that it would just be there forever and that would, you know, and I, I like it's it's pretty grim when you see people you know putting out warnings to creators to say like hey mm -hmm. like request a DVD of your of your show because you know if they somehow you know get rid of it you may not have a copy of yeah, this yeah. thing that you made that was you know available you know worldwide and then now it's pulled from everything yeah all right let's go ahead and move on to reviews here are this week's reviews week we have fast 10 you remember my father Arnon Reyes. my father was a horrible man very bad daddy but i kind of liked him and you took him from me when you stole our money and left us with nothing but suffering that's what i came here for to end that suffering oh and i didn't take that money This is the 10th movie in the uh, Fast and Furious saga, the 11th, if you count uh, Hobbs and Shaw, the spinoff. Uh, this is uh, allegedly one of the parts of the finale, right. Orig initially going to be two movies, now supposedly going to be three. Mm -hmm. Who boy, Cody, tell us about Fast 10, what you thought of it. Yeah, so I mean, it's, uh, you know, we talked about this, I think, last week where you had said that you had like seen every other movie um, uh, in the in the franchise recently um, for not I'm not like purposely like you were skipping one yeah. you were just doing a pattern <laughs> but that's just kind of the way that it that it uh, sort of fleshed out and uh, and so I hope you weren't uh, stuck in your lore uh, I I know that uh, <laughs> I I don't know where you saw yours at but I saw mine at Alamo Draft House and they actually had a recap like a ten oh, minute cool. recap. That was just like kind of funny and, and went through like each of the, t the nine previous movies of like the major points of what happened and stuff. Yeah, we, we saw the sc I was at the screening. Um, okay. So to be clear, my first one was Fast Five. Oh, which is still the high point, I think. Sure. Then I saw Fast or Furious Seven, Fate of the Furious. Mm -hmm. I missed the ninth one and then this one. So I've seen four or I've seen Hobbs and Shaw. So five of the 11. Yeah. Okay. But I think I get the gist. Sure, sure. Um, but but there there are some stuff. There are some things where if you did not see the last one, are a little bit jarring here. Like you know, oh, yeah. like how John Cena goes from 
like <laughs> the villain of the previous movie to now is just like suddenly on the team. Uh, but it's you know, kind of the whole mo- the whole mo of the thing is every bad guy becomes part of a team. Well, yes, and I think and I think just you know to to get down into the logistics of it, you know what what started off as you know I, and this is well this isn't like new information, but you know what started off as a very simple you know kind of like narrative that took place inside street racing and was about you know like paul walker's character like was like i believe he was like a cop who like went uh like went undercover in the street Mm -hmm. racing to uh because people were boosting dvd players or something like that i think that's the plot of the first one yeah yeah. um and and, in any way you know it was really entrenched in this like in this like street racing thing and then like slowly evolved into being like um you know around fast five as like a heist thing and then kind of continue to build and up uh and up the uh the, the sort of ridiculousness of it all um got more complex got bigger and dumber and all this other stuff and and uh, and this is no exception i mean i think you know the the <laughs> This this series is like the king of retconning, and they can just retcon whatever they want to fit the story. And here, the big retcon is that uh, is that um, the 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 kind of heist that they pulled in uh, in Fast Five, uh, uh, the the kind of the main villain had a son who was apparently just off screen the entire time <laughs> of, of Fast Five, uh, but was there the whole time, played by Jason Momoa. And um, with if you heard in that clip with a varying uh, with varying degrees of a Brazilian accent. Yeah, I yeah, it, it's there one scene and not there the next for sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but but and so he's essentially just out for revenge. And so the whole movie pretty much is just um, is just him, you know, setting bigger and bigger traps for the crew and the crew having to um, uh, kind of like he, he kind of sets up sets them up, um, which you know, leads to sort of uh, uh, Michelle Rodriguez's character getting taken and then uh, they're kind of after Dom's uh, uh, family and, and son and and essentially it's just about Jason Momoa exacting revenge. And so, you know, if you if you have seen any of these movies, I think you know pretty much what you're going to get. You know, the, the action of it is ridiculous. Uh, you know, the, the plotting of it, makes little sense uh <laughs> there's just and, and i think it, it struggles with like having just so many characters i mean there's there are like it feels what it feels like maybe like 12 to 15 main like major characters who are all like part of the team need enough screen time need to go pair off or do other things you know you have john cena like in his own movie almost uh, <laughs> yeah with with uh with with dom's son and then you have like um, you have like Michelle Rodriguez and and um, Char- Charlize Theron like off in their own little thing, and then you have um, and then Jason Momoa is just sort of like the presence throughout, and it's just so you know the the, the whole theme of of this franchise seems to be just like family, <laughs> like, like that's the theme, and it's just so funny how like every major character they've introduced since Fast Five is just somehow connected to someone else in the series, like you have like. Uh, like 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 uh, Jason Statham ends up playing Luke Evans's brother, and then you find out that they have a mother who's Helen Mirren, and mm-hmm. then and then you find out that uh, that uh, John Cena is like Dom's lost brother that somehow was never mentioned or never brought up. Uh, and Dom and uh, Mia, don't forget uh, Jordana oh, yeah, yeah. Brewster, Jord- who's yeah. who's still hanging around for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and I mean it just goes on and on. I mean Jason Momoa is playing the son of of the uh, <laughs> of the uh, of the boss, and then you have a new character here. Uh, uh, well, two new characters. One is the sister, the long lost sister of Elsa Pataki's character who, <laughs> who died previously, and then finally you have Brie Larson entering the universe, who plays, of course, the daughter of Mister Nobody. So like, uh, with Kurt Russell's character. So like it literally just is like every new character that shows up just assume that they're somehow related to someone else in the series and then they're retconning their way into what happened um and so like i said you know the the the, it it follows a very similar formula like um you know death defying ridiculous you know like vin diesel knocking over a crane by flying his car off a cliff bullshit you know you have the same (laughs) kind of like comedic relief that you get with like the the ongoing you know feud or or shit talking between you know uh, Ludacris and and Tyrese um uh but what I will say 
is that uh, is that what this movie has that other movies haven't had is Jason Momoa, who uh, who makes this movie like infinitely more watchable than I think it has any right to be, because anytime he's on screen, it is like it is a gigantic performance, and it's something where like he's he's like at a level ten all the time. And it it's so it it it's it's such in a way that I found like like extremely entertaining. There's been a lot of comparisons I've seen, and I don't know how you feel about this, but there's a lot of like Caesar Romero Joker is what I'm seeing from a lot of people. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, I think people just wanted to use the Joker comparison, and I mean, Caesar Romero was just an old man who painted over his mustache to play the Joker. It's not really. Yeah. I don't I don't see it as that. Yeah, personally, it, what it is though, it is it is kind of like he is 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 like sort of like this sadistic character who who is like kind of kind of weird, like kind of like feminine in a lot of ways, uh, and uh, and it's just kind of like crazy and 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 and, and uh, also serves as like a kind of like a commentary of things that are going on. There's a lot of the, the thing that the things that I like the most is like there's a lot of really great reactionary things like uh, like uh, asides, one liners, non sequiturs, um, you know, commenting on stuff that's going on in the movie kind of uh, he, stuff. I would get I would say and, and there's a particular scene that makes me say this a little more of a Jack Nicholson Joker like Jack mm-hmm. Nicholson Joker but ramped up a little bit like just sort of like unhinged and funny mm-hmm. though I mean I have different opinions on that but yeah and and I think the the humor of it really works and I think that uh and I like I mean I was deeply entertained at at his performance and and again it it's not subtle at all it is a giant performance and I think that the the thing that that works about it is that it's what the franchise has been like dying for, which is some amount of self-awareness and some amount of levity that is beyond like the Tyrese and the ludicrous stuff. Because previously, it's been a, the past like you know five movies have been super serious with like some some ridiculous uh, like elements of them, and then like the the comedic relief of ludicrous and Tyrese. And usually, like backed by some like stupid music or whatever, like the jokes just can't land on them on their. On their <laughs> um, but here, you get someone who like like has a bit of self awareness because again, like you know, Vin Diesel treats this like it's like the most dramatic thing that's ever happened in the movie and has like no levity to it. And this just brings uh, uh, something that is just like over the top, ridiculous, goofy, legitimately funny. And it's just it's 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 a nice break because otherwise this would be just like overwhelmingly self serious garbage and it still is for a lot of it um, you know it's not as if you know it changes the entire tone of the movie but I will say that the movie suffers greatly when Jason Momoa is not on screen there's a middle chunk where he's kind of off screen for a little while and it really drags um, you know I but but like man it's just like oh and also it's a break of like the machismo stuff that's that's like just so heavily peppered throughout this like even you know there's a scene that that I really did not like at all where Brie Larson shows up to go find uh Vin Diesel and she like enters a bar she's wearing like a leather jacket and uh and like she creates a scene and like beats up a couple of guys uh like looking for dom but he's just like sitting there the whole time like couldn't you just go walk over and talk to him like man i don't I, even remember that scene there's so it, much to this that just blew yeah. past me but yeah so you know that being said i mean i think it falls victim to you know again the self-seriousness ridiculous over the top uh uh you know furious fast and furious franchise stuff but it has but it has a certain level of watchability that has been missing from the last few like the last few movies for me felt like a total slog and i did not have a good time at all uh the presence of momoa really uh, brings about you know something that I, I i don't know that i can comfortably call good and i wouldn't call good but i would say uh it's certainly watchable man i don't i I I disagree on the Momoa stuff. Like I like Jason Momoa in general. I just felt like this one was too over the top, even for this movie. Like I don't feel like it. It was any sort of like taking the piss out of it. Um, 
you know it was it was no sort of commentary on the ridiculousness of it the one character that does get to do that and in a brief scene in a ridiculous like cgi set uh is alan richson with with uh brie larson where they're like explaining like the premise of of like everybody that's after dom joining dom's family um i don't i feel like that was kind of the the one inside joke i man to me the the momoa stuff feels a little almost like a gay panic offensive stuff to me oh see, like i don't i don't think his character is gay i don't know i don't i don't think he is either but like he's playing this really like queer coded effeminate well, villain which i i mean look a lot of people seem to love it i i just i it felt kind of like it was from 2005 to me see the reason i disagree with that is because i do think that it that, that is a commentary on the machismo stuff that man i don't think this movie is nearly that fucking smart but, i disagree no, but there is that scene like i mean it's literally in the script where the, the scene where he's like painting the toenails of people he's he like he like he literally says it's bringing much needed but he's painting energy the, to this but he's painting the toenails of corpses right right like it's is, it's it's just to be it's like a psychotic moment it's not a I don't feel like that's a, a, a bringing bringing down the machismo of it personally. I, I, I mean, what, I mean, but what about the line about bringing much needed feminine energy to the mix? Like, I mean, liter it's literally in. There. Sure, I get it, but I don't think the movie is. I think the movie's the movie's throwing that at the cheap seats to laugh. Mm, like, I don't, I don't think I, the movie's, I disagree with that. But that's well, fine. anyway, whatever. Um, I, I just I'm not as big on Momoa as anything uh, as as everybody else seems to be. That's fine. I just still think this is some of the dumbest shit that's ever been on a screen and it's fine. There's a moment of dumb that's fine. And there's a, a, a long time, like mystery science theater 3000 thing um, that they'll tell you like, never show a good movie in the middle of your bad movie. And this movie starts out showing a good movie, which is fast five in the middle of this bad movie. So you're constantly reminded of what I feel, and I think a lot of people would agree is the series high point with Fast mm -hmm. Five. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you you know, you're you're it proceeds to to bombard you with just stuff that's that's like calling back to it almost, like the the bomb rolling through Rome, um, which is just becomes kind of tiresome at a point. Um you know, and then then the the really tired stuff like, man, fucking Ludacris could not look less interested in this <laughs> at all. Um, like he's it's he's uh, isolated with Tyrese, of course. Um, and then uh, Natalie Emmanuel and um, um, I'm, forgive me, I forget the actor's name, but Han, who apparently was the one that came back from the dead in the last movie because his death was a hologram. The second person. Uh, uh, up until this movie to come back from the dead. Sung Kang, sorry, is the actor's name. Um, anyway, um, so th they have their own little adventure, and it's so fucking boring yeah. uh, until they stumble across Jason Statham, who is just doing his Jason Statham thing. Um, did you see Hobbs and Shaw? I did. Okay. I, I, I mean, it's fine. It's, mm -hmm. it's okay. Um, then they get to stumble into what is probably the worst scene in the entire movie, uh, that features a celebrity cameo uh, in the Universal, let's just say in the NBC Universal family, mm -hmm. um, a very high-profile celebrity cameo in a scene that makes that that does nothing and goes on for seemingly ten minutes. Mm -hmm. um, there's just so much of that shit in here. Uh, the the self-seriousness of Vin Diesel, which I get, that's his thing, uh, but then everybody else is is entirely too serious in this role like the only person like you said that's having any fun that looks like they're having any fun is momoa and even like i said i didn't care for it um you know this this movie clearly has designs to be like an infinity war style setup for something down the road so be warned you're getting half of a fucking movie if that yes, yes. um and you're getting two and a half hours of half of a fucking movie uh, and not only that, you're getting introduced to new characters. Uh, Daniela Melchior. I'm not sure how you say her name. Um, was, she, but, uh, was she from Suicide Squad? She was in Suicide Squad. She was in Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, yeah. Volume 3. Anyway, she was a rat catcher in Suicide Squad. That's right. Um, anyway, so you get, 
you you meet her and you get a long setup in the middle of this uh, street race. And you're like, well, shit, this is gonna go somewhere. This is gonna be some character development that I don't give a shit about. Oh, great, she's Dom's uh, ex lover's lost sister. Like, fuck me, man. And then the the John Cena thing. Like, that's the only one I actually kind of like because I really like John Cena playing that goofball energy that he has. But I, it it is so off of what his character was sure and i that's what i haven't seen the movie before i didn't see the last one so i i have no bearing on that but i could tell watching it that shit this is probably not what this character was introduced at no um and then like i mentioned uh poor jordana brewster's still hanging around um famously uh fat furious seven retired uh, the character of uh brian um played by the late paul walker who's been dead 10 years now for whatever reason, the movie still keeps bringing him up. Like, why? Why? My 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 terrible theory is that he's going to be a digital resurrection in one of these next movies. Like, you're going to see Paul Walker's face again in one of these movies. Yeah. And that makes me really upset. Uh, because you gave... Like, Furious 7, I don't remember anything about that movie except for that send-off. Like, it's a great send-off for the character. Like, it's a touching moment. It's the way... It's the w- exact way they should have done it. Yes. Um, that you keep bringing up this fucking character's name. Well, and it, and it and also like, and I don't, not to get like too morbid about this, but just like, like you know, the manner in which Paul Walker died, like you're con- you're keeping the idea of him around when you're keeping his character around in this movie, and then throwing a bunch of like, you know, like yeah. crazy car shit into all of this. Like you're not letting the audience let that go. It just feels it feels really um I don't know it just feels it feels uncomfortable that they continue to do this. Yeah, and you know that he died in a in a fiery car crash and there's numerous fiery car crashes. One that apparently claims the life of a character, but fuck you, I'll believe it when I see it. Kiss my yeah. ass. Yeah. Um yeah, it's it's one of those things that I don't quite get unless they're really willing to cross that bridge into bringing him back as a digital ghost, which I would not be happy with because I'm never happy with that. And there's there's really no reason why they would keep him relevant on screen for this long unless they were planning they weren't planning something like that. You know, right. like but but also too, there's no narrative reason. Like it again, it, you call attention to it. Like in this movie, I don't recall hearing anything about where his character is supposed to be. He's and, just he's just safe. There's one thing they say he's safe. Like but, I even, but I think they might be talking about the younger Brian, like the kid. No, uh, because he was in the house with Vin Diesel when he says that. Like he's upstairs. Oh, like because they're asking like where you know where's everybody at, and they talk about like how whatever the fuck Tyrese and and Ludacris are in Rome, but like, and everybody I, else is safe. But the end of Fast Nine or whatever ends with like. A, a car pulling up yeah. to the barbecue that's supposed I know to be that. his. So like, so in this movie, it's like he's just again off screen. All this shit's happening and going down. His his you know uh, his nephew his, is kidnapped. His wife is his, is babysitting the nephew while he's kidnapped, yeah. and he's just fucked off at home, like yeah. with the with their kids or whatever. Yeah, it's really it's really gross to me. Yeah, I I agree with that completely. Anyway, uh, I mean, look. Like I said, I, I I feel like Fast Five is the best of these movies. I feel like this is the worst. And oh, you need to see some of the others. <laughs> maybe, but at least at least the idea that that this isn't a full story is is the kind of infuriating part. And I knew that's what we were getting. But like, man, this like you've stretched out like like forty five minutes of material to two and a half hours, and it's still not wrapped up. Like there's still nothing here at play. Like, okay, so we're we're just waiting for Kurt Russell to show up. We're waiting for uh fucking uh uh the rock to show up, which he you know, spoiler alert, it's out there everywhere. He's in the end credit sequence. Mm-hmm. Um you get another character brought back from the dead. You could probably narrow it down to everybody that's died that's not a villain. Yeah. Uh which character comes back for no fucking reason whatsoever. And they don't bother explaining it in the movie either. Like it's just- hey, but that's that's a first the first post credit stinger. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got Charlize Theron who um was a bad guy in the, the last two movies and then Oh, you mean the one who literally murdered Vin Diesel's girlfriend who yeah. is the mother of their kid is is now suddenly 
<laughs> we're helping Michelle Rodriguez escape. Uh, and let's not forget thing. Michelle Rodriguez came back from the dead. Right. Uh, like five movies ago. Um, Sung Kang uh, Han uh, character was dead from like the Tokyo third Drift. Tokyo, the Tokyo Drift, apparently killed by <laughs> Jason Statham's characters. It was Retcon oh my that, God. That Jason Statham, who, who of course now is helping them as well, even though he was the villain and then killed, killed Han. Yeah. Look, it's, so, so with the character, with Alan Richson's character of Ames, that's the one character that maybe is the smart commentary element on kind of the ridiculousness of it in two separate scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I don't think this movie is, I don't think this is, this is aiming for any sort of social commentary on like the femininity and the machismo of these movies. I don't believe that one bit. Um, you know, this is playing to the, the fucking, again, the cheap seats, which I get, that's what this whole thing has been like, you know, I've th- I've said this before. Like the one thing that separates this from those Michael Bay Transformers movies is like the terrible racist stereotypes that for some reason were inserted into a Transformers movie, but they're just as fucking stupid and they're just as fucking dumb. Mm-hmm. Um these just hit really harder for whatever reason with with audiences. And I look, I don't get it. I get certain elements of it, but man, it's just these are so these movies are such a slog for me. Yeah. Anyway, what is your grade for Fast 10, Cody? Well, it's it's difficult to talk about these movies in terms of like recommendations because it's it's like if 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 you haven't seen these movies before, you're not going to jump into the 10th one. And <laughs> if you you know, if you don't like these movies, there's no way you're getting to number 10 without having like not tapped out yet. And if you like these movies, you're in the can for it anyway, so like you're you're going to love it no matter what. You know, that being said, um it is definitely not the worst of the series. I mean, you should go watch the last one if you if you want a little bit. Mm. Like the last one is worse is worse than this movie easily. Um, uh, F nine, the Furious Saga, or whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> um, uh, it's not the best of the series either. But like I said, it remains watchable as just like a popcorn movie with like a cartoonishly big and fun performance from Momoa who quite honestly rescues the movie and salvages it to even being a watchable thing. It is a bad movie, but um there are watchable parts to it. I'm going to give it a C plus. Man, I'm giving it a C minus. Um I'm just I'm just not in the tank for these movies. And I I have enjoyed elements of the past films. Like I said, I I enjoy Fast 5 a lot. I don't know that I could tell you any of the plot points other than they drag the safe through Rio de Janeiro. Um, and you know, furious seven, the Paul Walker send off. I mean, you know, probably one of the, the more heartfelt moments in a fucking dipshit movie series. Um, but man, this one is just, this is a chore. These are a chore for me to sit through. And I, I can't, I can't recommend this at all unless you're, I mean, unless you're all the way in, why would you watch this? But apparently a lot of people are all the way in. Oh, sure. Um, anyway, uh, that's going to do it for this week. Next week, Cody, Mm -hmm. the little mermaid. Yes. Uh, something I've already seen. You have yet to see. Um, we're, uh, we're kind of, uh, in the era of the Disney remake. Uh, not, not a terribly positive era, but yeah, we'll see what you think. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, uh, also, uh, we're going to cover a movie called, uh, you hurt my feelings. Yeah. And yeah, one of my favorites uh, out of Sundance from this year with its uh, uh, with Julie Louis Dreyfus. It's a Nicole Holof Center uh, mm-hmm. movie. Uh, they repaired, uh, repaired, uh, paired up <laughs> again. Uh, uh, I think for the first time since the movie Enough Said. Um, uh, God, I still haven't watched that movie, and I need to because I love James Gandolfini. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm I'm excited to talk about that. I, I it's a it's a really interesting movie, I think, and so. Uh, and then we've got some other like like on the surf or on the outside stuff that we may cover. There's some stuff opening. I think the most likely thing that we might cover would be the machine, the Burt Kreischer uh, story that's been that he's been telling for a, a decade now. Are you uh, a fan of Burt Kreischer's stand-up? Uh, not really. No, I'm not either. He seems like a fun guy, mm-hmm. but he seems like a fun guy like from 2005. Yeah, I mean, I isn't the that. isn't Van Wilder supposed to be based on him? Is it? That's what I heard. 
Well, I don't know. I've heard him say that, actually. Mm. Not that he looks like Ryan Reynolds, but... <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big fan of his stand-up either, but he seems like a very, like... Like like I said, it's well, he'd be a lot to hang out with. Yeah. Anyway. But I, but I, you know, I, I it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think the cast looks moderately interesting. I know Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill plays his dad. Yeah. And Jimmy Tatro, who I think is really funny, is playing the younger version of him. Uh, but I don't know. I guess we'll see. And and you know, uh, I was trying to see if the uh, if the director of that movie has made anything else. And he was a. It looks like he was a director on Key and Peele, and uh, and also directed Keanu, the Key and Peele movie. Oh yeah, I. Don't remember. I remember really being looking forward to that movie, and it sort of disappointing me. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. I I uh, I had uh, I don't, I'm not going to be able to make it, but there's they're doing some kind of like theatrical thing on Thursday where it's going to be like the movie and then like a 30 minute Brett Kreischer stand up set as well. I know he's about to go on tour. I've heard that too. Which, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, if you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast.cinesnob.net. Find us on Twitter at Cinesnob, Facebook, Cinesnobnet, uh, YouTube.com slash Cinesnob. Um, Cody, still doing the ramble? Yeah, when I can. Uh, the ramble's still going on, regardless of whether I'm there or not. Uh, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Friday. Just like life, man. Just like life. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things where our recording schedule gets bumped all of the time, and uh i'm always able to do it at some point and then uh we get bumped and i can't do it anymore so mm, well the life of um it's like matt damon on jimmy kimmel is always getting bumped yes. is that a joke that's still happening i don't know i think so yeah huh. i think so have you seen that commercial by the way with uh for the nba finals just to go back to the nba talk where it's like a bunch of people getting nervous watching the finals and uh, for some reason, it's like it starts out with like Peyton and Eli Manning, like oh, watching the okay, finals yeah. really earnestly, and then like Jimmy Kimmel, like watching the finals, like in his dressing room. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I guess they're just. The, I mean, it's just the ABC stars. ABC, I guess. Yeah. Why are Peyton Manning and Eli Manning talking about the NBA finals? Who cares? Yeah, I mean, I I guess just because they're one of the bigger personalities on in the ESPN ABC family. So I guess I don't know. Anyway, uh, all right. Anything else before we go? No, I think that's it. All right. On that note, I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. Thank you for listening to the Cine Snob Podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.